how can you provide value? Like you're not, you're not trying to take money from people. You're trying to give them something and then in exchange, they will give you some money. So you really need to think like, how can I provide value for my collectors? Otherwise they could just listen to your music on Spotify if they just, if they just like the music, but how can you give them extra value? That's the, the, the big thing. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, I'm excited to be here today with my friend Nifty Sax. Nifty, his real name is Milo, and he's an award-winning saxophonist, composer, music director. He creates music NFTs using a saxophone. He's personally sold over 60 ETH, which uh, at the time of recording this is worth over $70,000 USD. And it you know, even can be much higher depending on the, the conversion rate of his own NFTs. And he's sold about 230 ETH of his, including his artist project, which, which means roughly $300,000 in USD using these music NFTs. And so he's someone that has a ton of experience in the, the world of music NFTs on Ethereum. And I'm excited to talk with him today about music NFTs in general and the landscape of Web3 and the music industry and to hear his, his take and his perspective on the future of music as it relates to NFTs. So, Milo, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited about the conversation. Absolutely. So maybe to kick things off, we can just start with if you could share a little bit about yourself and maybe how you got started and how did you discover the landscape of music NFTs in the first place? Yeah, so I was, I've been always a musician, so gigging musician, so that was my, my life. I've never done anything else, so I didn't know how to do anything else when the, when the pandemic hit. And so I was out of a job, like I just, everything went away. So I, I was initially, the first year, I, I thought I could get into writing music for advertising because I, I'm also a composer, I, I, I study music. So I, I started to produce some, some tracks like that, some, maybe some, some epic music for, for trailers and some other like silly music for, for ads, whatever. But it, it wasn't really for me. And then I found out about NFTs around maybe December 2020, something like that. And around January, I, I realized that that was, this was something new and it was something big. And I, for the first time in my life, I felt like I was at the beginning of something like the new internet, like everybody that, that was smart that I was following was, was starting to talk about this stuff. And I said, like, okay, I have to look into it. This is important. And so I, I looked into the blockchain and, and what it meant for, for artists and at the time it meant that visual artists, digital artists, finally could definitely make some good money. Before it was very difficult for digital artists to make money. And I quickly realized that there were no musicians doing anything on the blockchain, but I thought, why not? Why wouldn't I be able to put my music on the blockchain and, and do something cool with it? And so I, I really went full on. I just started to research and study as much as possible. There wasn't much information around, but I mostly was looking on Twitter, following people that were already doing it in, in art and trying to translate it into music. And so, yeah, I created my project. I 
had the idea of starting this new persona, Nifty Sucks, which I don't really know why, but it was kind of a, a, a dumb idea just because I thought crypto, everybody is like anonymous or whatever, but but it wasn't it wasn't really about that. Mostly it was about me having the creative freedom and no attachment to Milo Lombardi and whatever that was before. Like I was like Milo Lombardi quartet, jazz guy. And here I could do whatever I wanted because nobody knew me as Nifty Sucks. I had zero followers on Twitter, just created a brand new account. And I just created a, a collection of hundred saxophone improvisations, which was a creative explosion for me. I, I let go of all of the music that was bottled up inside of me. So it was very avant-garde kind of stuff. So not for everyone, for sure, but I, I needed to let that out. That was part of me and I, I studied classical music. So I, I needed to let that out of me. So a hundred pieces, I put them out. And I had a structure of, of sales that was, was going with an increasing price. And I had the moderate success, I say. Not, it, was, it didn't go that well. For the first six months, nobody knew what the hell I was doing. And nobody even knew what the hell music NFTs were. But then I, I applied everything else that I've learned by looking at other people's projects, like, like what they call PFP projects, like profile picture collections. And I created Nifty Sucks Fears with those in mind, with all of those concepts, which we can go into detail more later if you want. And that project actually did really well. It sold out in less than 12 hours. It generated a lot of money for me at the time. It wasn't that much, maybe something like 30 or $40,000, which was cool. Like I did it overnight. So it's like, okay, that's great. And of course, like everything, it was not an overnight success. It took me like six months to get there. But that money was generated overnight, which was cool. And it was a kind of a story, a new story. And then, yeah, from then on, I, I realized that a lot of people were lacking some, some, some of the knowledge that I acquired in all these months. And so I started to help them out on Twitter, doing Twitter spaces. And then I founded Nifty Music, which helps other artists to achieve their Web3 goals. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> a short story of what happened. Mm. Super cool. Yeah, I, I think this the whole landscape of music NFTs and Web 3.0 is, is really fascinating. And, and so Nifty and I have been meeting for probably like two or three months now, would you say? Yeah. And we have a mutual mutual friend and colleague, Fifi. And Fifi is very successful at, at selling her own NFTs. I know she's partnered with you, um, Milo, and yeah. she's also uh, our gold artist of the year last year for Modern Musician. And so she's sort of like this bridge that's that's brought the two of us together. And it's been great being able to connect. And, you know, we're still kind of discovering best ways that we can collaborate long term. Yeah. And that's part of the reason that we're doing this podcast right now. But I would love to hear your take on you know, after you, you know, it's, been, it's only been a couple of years, right? Like it's been like a this is a new movement that's happening right now in the music industry. And you've learned a ton in the past couple of years as it relates to Web3 and music NFTs. And I'd be curious to hear your your vision for why do you think that music NFTs are really a unique opportunity right now for musicians? And if someone's listening to this right now and maybe they've heard the kind of trendy things or like, okay, they've heard about NFTs, they've heard people are creating NFTs out of crazy things and making a lot of money with these like mm. NFTs, but maybe they're a little bit skeptical or on the fence or there's, they just don't fully understand like, you know, why, what makes music NFTs a special opportunity. Could you share a little bit about just insight in, term, in terms of what exactly is the NFT? What do you think is kind of the landscape and, and why do you think it's worth someone paying attention to right now if they're a musician? Yeah, definitely. 
So first of all, I think a lot of people are scared of NFTs because of how many scams there are. Because if it's a new internet, you can imagine how many scams there were when the internet came about. Like it's just, it's a new thing. Like there were so many scams via email when people still trusted emails. <laughs> now, mm. now they go directly to spam. So right now it's kind of a wild west. So there's definitely a lot of scams and you got to be careful what, what, what you're doing. You, you kind of have to research into security because uh, you are your own bank like that's part of the crypto ethos so apart from all of that if you learn about security and let's say that you're already over that it, nfts offer incredible opportunities that before there was, there was just not the technology to to achieve like you couldn't for example know exactly 100 with 100 certainty who owns your music there, there are many services that, that yeah, they, they claim to do that. Like maybe you get the email of these people, but who knows? Like they could have a fake email or whatever. So it's just very complicated to actually have 100% certainty of who owns your stuff. But now you can with the blockchain. And it's just one of the things that you can do. Then, of course, once, once you know who owns your stuff, you can provide value to these people. You can give them access to specific things and because you know for sure that they own your tokens they own your music and by owning your music i don't mean that they own the copyright they just own a digital copy of it and so the possibilities become endless it's just all up to your own creativity and that's why i think it's so exciting to be in this space because you not only you can be creative in music you know you can also be creative in how you release your music and how you engage with your fans and what 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 value you provide them and how interesting you make it for them to collect your music because for example what i did with fears was a blind mint meaning that when people bought it they didn't know exactly which song they, they were gonna get and they didn't know which rarity some songs are more rare than others i just chose some songs to be more rare because they were my favorites and that's cool like it's exciting you can't really do that with just regular mp3s and uh, so it's all about the, the, the creativity of, I, I'm sure there are so many ideas that still have not come out. Like it's all up to the, the new creators that come in and that decide to engage with their fans. Because what happens here is that you have a direct connection with your, with your close fans, because you can, you can have a song or an album be in like, I don't know, 150 or maybe a thousand editions and that's it, no more. So you will have a really, really close connection with these people. And so you, you can think of them as your own investors. Like you can think of yourself as a small startup. And then these people are your advisors because they, not to say that you have to trust on them for, for your career, but they can help you out. But I've seen this with our artists like uh, Violeta Zironi. She had a really big collection. Now she has a thousand holders. And these people are like shareholders in her career. Like they, they come up with great ideas that maybe she didn't even think of. And they have weekly meetings, you know, it's, it's a very direct interaction, which before maybe if you had a label and a manager and things like that, it's always very cold. Like you, you don't really interact with your fans. Maybe you do it on social media, but you don't know if these people are actually, they, they have your music or not, or they're just trolls or whatever. And now you have, you have, for example, token gated access to certain things. Like you can have a token gated streaming concert only for people that hold your music. And it's just, there's way too many, too many things that are, that are possible on the blockchain that that's basically the, the the concept that excites you the most it's all about the creativity of the artist of how they can use this technology mm. super cool yeah so 
<clears throat> so it sounds like one, one of the things that you, you pointed to was that you can really hone in on the idea of ownership. And, you know, and maybe we could dive a little bit into that idea of you know, how does this ownership, you know, why do you think that that part is so important? And wh why is that such a big part of the opportunity of NFTs is that they actually can kind of like to own, own a piece of this artwork? And maybe just a quick debrief for, for anyone who maybe is a little bit on the outside, who doesn't even know what is an NFT itself and like, what is, what exactly, like, what does that mean when it comes to additions and, and different types? Maybe we could talk a little bit about oh, sure. that as an overview. So, yeah, NFTs, they just mean non-fungible tokens. So it, it really, all it means is that these tokens are not interchangeable. Like like a dollar bill, I can give you mine, you give me yours, nothing has changed. But if I give you my my camera and you give me your camera, they, they are slightly different. Even if maybe they're the same brand, but they're different. So you, you can't just exchange them like that. They're non-fungible. It's just a mm -hmm. silly technical term that somehow became popular. But... Right. But yeah, and that makes sense. Is. Like that, that idea of like, you know, you have a hundred dollar bill, another person, a hundred dollar bill, then they, the value is exactly the same thing. Like you can exchange yeah. them. It doesn't mean anything different, but yeah, like you're saying, these are kind of two unique things that they, they're different from currency. Yeah. You can think of them as two different vinyls with the different signature. Like they might be similar, mm -hmm. but they're not exactly the same, you know? So, mm -hmm. and also you might be attached to your own, like your own is edition, I don't know, 77. Maybe you like that number. And so you want that one in particular. Yeah. So, maybe it's like a special guitar, right? It's like a guitar yeah. that you've played for 10 years. Right. And if you own this guitar, you could have the same one of, but it's like exactly. a maybe a different, different one. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's exactly like that. Yeah. And, and basically, the, the whole concept of owning NFTs and owning these digital copies of music is really like owning a, a, a copy of a vinyl. It's something cool, it's collectible, and it's something that might increase in value. And the, the thing is that what, what I think in the, the, the macro system, what, what's happening is that music is moving towards a freemium model. So like, like what games have done very successfully, like they mm -hmm. give you the game for free, but yeah. if you want the really cool stuff, you have to pay mm -hmm. for something, right? So that's the right. same thing. Music is free. Like everybody, in, in, in everybody's mind, music is free. You just go to Spotify, whatever you pay, maybe 10 euros a month or whatever it is, and you get everything, almost everything you want. Or you just go to YouTube. You, you can probably even not pay anything and still get the music. So that's what people want. So that's what's going to happen. You, you can't mm -hmm. just go against millions of people and how they think. So mm -hmm. I, I think initially, actually, I thought, oh, we have to change people's mind. We have to go back to collecting music and buying music that is not available anywhere else. That doesn't work. People want music. Let them mm -hmm. have it. But let them yeah. pay for extra utility that comes mm -hmm. with the music. Like if you, mm -hmm. if you own this particular piece of music of mine, then you can come to my shows for free. Then you can have a call with me. You can do this and that. Maybe I send you some merch or you have discounts on, on my merge or many, many things that I can, I can think of anything I can think of. I can, I can give you that because I know that you hold that piece. So you paid extra. So you get extra. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast. So I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast. Or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two-week trial to our music mentor coaching program. 
And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're gonna get access to our entire Music Mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're going to have our Music Mentor Spotlight Series. And that's where we're going to bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now. And one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Music Mentor and, and maybe the most valuable is that you're going to have this, this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you want to take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, from there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast, supporting the show. Um, so don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. So it sounds like one of the things that you're pointing to, like one of the benefits of, of NFTs is that you can assign utility to those NFTs and you can actually grant someone who owns an NFT something, some special access and that's sort of like an extra bonus in addition to you know, it, them having it as a piece of art that they can own where it has value in and of itself. But then also the fact that you can add this different utility adds a lot of extra value and different opportunities. With When it comes to having gated content for someone who owns one of those tokens, um, this might be a little bit too technical, so we don't necessarily have to go like down like too much of a rabbit hole, but I'm just kind of curious like how that, how that works exactly. Like How do you gate access to certain content based yeah. on people owning the token? Yeah, there, there are very, very simple third-party tools that you can use. For example, if people are already familiar with Discord, inside Discord you can have different bots that are already created by other people and you just ap apply them to your Discord, just invite them to your Discord, and then some channels, they, they, you, you need to verify your wallet. So once you verified your wallet, you... you you hold certain tokens so you can access that, that channel. That's just one of the options. Then there are many other services that allow you, for example, to watch a video only if you hold a token, you just connect your wallet. So Web3, which what is what we call like the, the web on the blockchain, is basically instead of signing up, like put your email and password, you just connect your wallet. So you, the tokens you hold determine what you can do on a website. Like I don't necessarily need to know who you are. If I know that you hold a token, you're good. Like you have a past. You can you can do whatever I decided that the holders of this token can do. So mm -hmm. basically, yeah, it, it doesn't. We are already at the point that we don't need to have the technical knowledge because there are so many third-party tools that we can use, and you just apply those. Of course, again, the the security is very important. So you need to do your research and don't don't get some random plugin from the web from 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 the web <laughs> just like that but if if it's a trusted resource then you can use it and, and it, it works pretty flawlessly like most people these days work with, with metamask and the, for example the, there are there are many other many other ways to connect with the, with, with wallets but uh, in on discord the very very common is collab land 
where you you can prove that you hold certain tokens and enter certain certain channels where you can then put some links for only for your VIPs to maybe a Zoom conference or whatever it is. So yeah, it's there. There are already many tools available out there. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. And if I so I'm a, a amateur like newcomer to the cryptocurrency and NFT landscape. So a lot of my understanding of it's very like very early on, sort of like amateurish. But one thing that it, it sounds like you're pointing to that is a part of the the revolution or kind of like the breakthrough nature of Web three is that rather than so with Web two you basically have these private independent independent data aggregators like people like Amazon and Facebook and Google and they all verify your identity essentially like they can have these a unique ID and so they have a, a huge database of all of their users and they they know who everyone is and with in the part of the revolution shift is switching from you know these companies that essentially own your data to it being decentralized and someone else doesn't own your data. It's actually everyone sort of has a publicly verifiable database of all these independent users. And you know, that's something that through starting to get into software development, I'm starting to kind of wrap my head around this idea of like having unique user IDs and using those, identifying who fans are, identifying who people are, and then you know, using that to better serve, better serve them and to do things like provide gated content to those people. But do you think that, maybe you could riff on that a little bit, like what's what's your take yeah. on that overall crypto movement and kind of how that connects to, to this idea too? Yeah, this is something that is very important for some people in crypto, like to have the anonymity, like to be able to not have to trust any big company. So what's very big in crypto is trustless actions. So if anything can be trustless, usually it's preferred to be that way. So if you don't have to trust anybody to perform a certain action, it is usually preferred to be that way for people that are familiar with crypto, because there are many things that can be automated and you don't need to trust me. Like when you connect to my website and, and maybe buy one of my tokens you, you don't have you don't have to trust me you don't have to trust a bank or anybody else you can read the smart contract it's a very simple interaction you send me this i send you that and it's it's automated like i i you don't have to believe that i'm going to do it it just happens on the blockchain once you initiate the the contract so th these things are are very important for some people other people just don't care they're willing to give up their data to to everyone whatever they say, oh, I have nothing to hide, so take it, which is totally fine. I'm, I, I'm not pro or against it. It's, it's just, it's, it's nice to have options for those people that, that prefer it that way. And it's also, it basically, it, it removes a lot of these uh, third parties, like these big companies that collect all this data because this data is publicly available to everyone on the blockchain. Everybody can look up my address and see what I own, what I sent, the, the money that I sent here and there. So it's kind of scary for some people like, oh, everything is out in the open. I don't know if I like that. So that's, mm -hmm. uh, so there, there's the, it's a kind of a double-edged sword because in, in a way there's more anonymity, but in another way, there is also, it, it's easier to see your movements, your financial mm -hmm. movements. So right. yeah, that's how it is. Huh. 
it is it's super interesting this is like probably one of the things that i like you got about most or something that i think is likely going to happen at some point in our lifetimes is there's a pretty big movement happening right now around this idea of data collection and privacy and there's some companies that are taking a very firm stance like you know apples so like you know, yeah. anti tracking and you know google and facebook their whole like business is built on tracking and providing relevant ads based on the data that they know about their users and so I think there's it's interesting. There's like different movements, and part of it's there's like agenda. There's different agendas. So like Apple, like it's one of their competitive advantages. Like they're kind of leaning into this privacy model, oh, and and I think that there's also just like in terms of society, like it's easy to kind of focus on the when it comes to us being tracked and our data being collected it's easy to focus on the scary nature of it or sort of like the oh like i'm being manipulated or being used and not necessarily appreciate the benefits that kind of come from that improved relevancy and from the you know that it actually can it, in a lot of ways like having access to this data is really good for you but i think that because it's been sort of under this radar under the surface for so long now it's kind of coming up to the surface that wow, like how did they, like they know everything about me. This is crazy. I really think that there's a, a movement that's going to happen. And I don't think anyone has like cracked the code on this yet. And maybe it's related to, to crypto and this idea of like having more decentralization or more trust. I think OAuth is a good example of, you know, of putting the trust back in the user's hands so they can decide, okay, I want to give this company access to my, my data. But I really think that at some point, in our lifetimes, we're, we're probably in the next 10 years, we'll move to a point where you end users like us, we willingly give up as much information, personal information about ourselves as possible to some trustworthy or trustless, you know, source that basically has every single detail about our lives, has all of our health information, has all of our biometric tracking, has all of our demographics, has all of our interests, has all of our history of our behavior and everything that we possibly could want to create a digital avatar that most closely you know mirrors who who we are so it's not like a hidden thing where someone like facebook has to track us with a pixel it's like nope like we actually voluntarily want to track all of these things so that the algorithm can do a better job of giving us recommendations but then we have the ability to grant access to different companies who maybe they can request access to certain types of your data based on what they can use to better serve you like a, a hospital might ask you to grant access to your health metrics and, and data right and and maybe you could even grant it and give like they could pay like a subscription like maybe certain businesses could actually pay a subscription to access all of your demographic data that they really need for example but i think that that's that's what movement that's going to happen and maybe it's connected to decentralization at some at some point like if there's a trustless so. decentralized authority that we could you know give our information to yeah i think so for example i like i like what you said like with the with the hospital like you could grant access basically when you go to the hospital you just connect your wallet and you would have your records as nfts and then you can just disconnect when you're done you know and then just move on with your life so i, I don't know how people are gonna implement this but i i definitely see like also any, any kind of record will be an NFT. It doesn't need to be on paper and it doesn't need to be on a centralized storage. It, it can just be an NFT living on, on the blockchain. And then, yeah, whenever you need to grant access, you just connect your wallet 
to whatever entity you want and they can see your, the NFTs you hold so they can read the contents because you can you can also have unlockable content behind NFTs like only the holders or only if you if you grant access you you can see the content behind it so yeah I definitely mm -hmm. see it going that way most records are going to be NFTs on the blockchain for example copyright things like these will definitely be on the blockchain I already see the, the Italian PRO called CI they already moved to Algorand, they, they moved like 4 million copyright uh, items to the blockchain. Like now that's, that's where they live. So I definitely see, see it happening probably in the next five years. We'll see. <laughs> wow. That's really interesting. Yeah, sort of like the a source of truth for for all the different types of information. Cool. Well, maybe like tomorrow, Nifty, you and I, we can just you know create the technology that that everyone can use to grant all their access, and you guys can come check back in in a couple of days, and we'll provide that for you. I, I, that, yeah, that's, that's that's there's something there's something about that idea that just like really I, I feel like that that is a potentially like a humanity changing sort of ideas, like in terms of this web two, web three transition is sort of giving the control or giving the power back to the end user so that they can, you know, essentially verify and authenticate how their data is being used, but also just fill it out and, and like take, get all the benefits of the machine learning and all of the artificial intelligence because the, the more data that those have, like the, the better. But right now it's like these companies almost have to, I don't, I don't want to say like trick you into like giving up your data, but a lot of them, like they have to like oh, yeah. put it on tracking pixels and they have to like, you know, do really advanced setup to like do conversion tracking and to track all these different things. Whereas if you could have a system where they could be transparent to say, hey, here's what we want from you and here's why, you know, it's going to benefit you, then that'd be a lot, you know, uh, more transparent of a system, I think. And better than Apple's, Apple's solution of like, when I open up my phone, it's like, do you want to allow this person to track your every, you know, detail? Like yes or no? It's like yeah, no. <laughs> like like why? Like the way they present it is so so. Like you know, why would anyone ever say yes to that unless unless they know like this is actually a, a good thing? So I don't know. So anyway, we could go down a rabbit hole and just like ramble here. But n next question that that I have for you is now that you, you know you, you've been you've been doing this for for a while now and you have you have a lot of success both personally and with the artists that you've been working with to help them to launch their NFTs. What are some of the biggest challenges or mistakes that you see musicians struggling with when they first kind of discover the the world of music NFTs? Oh yeah, that's that's an easy question because I do daily spaces and this comes up a lot, so I thought about this quite a bit. And the, the biggest the biggest mistake usually is to come out with like a, your biggest work, like something that you're so attached to. Oh, I'm gonna put it on the blockchain. And then the problem is that you're so attached to that that you're not willing to let it go for a small price. But mm -hmm. nobody knows you on the blockchain. Nobody knows you in Web3. So it, nobody's going to buy it for like five ETH or something or for like $10,000. Like, it just, it's not going to work. So it's much better to start humble and let some works go. So what I usually what I usually say to the people that ask me this is just just create something specifically. So let's create something new. I mean, you're an artist. You can create. Just Just do it. Mm -hmm. do something that is not you're not so attached to and just mm -hmm. try just try to put it out on blockchain see if you can if you can sell a few works at a small price because the problem is that you see other artists that are already established selling 
at insane prices, like, oh, this guy sold a song for $5,000, I, I, I can do it too, which is true, mm -hmm. you can, but you need to be patient. You can't mm -hmm. just come out of the gate with just your best work and expect it's going to sell for so much just because it's so good. People don't care mm -hmm. it's so good. There's so many good things around that there's, it's overwhelming. So most, most of the time, collectors, they buy into you, not into your art, because the art is, is good. There's many, many good pieces of music everywhere. There's no shortage of that, for sure. But what's, what's interesting for a collector is you. Like, who are you as a person? Why would I connect with your work? So that's basically the most important thing. Like, create something specifically new for, for Web3. Don't, don't be too attached to it and just start making connections because that's what it's about. It's a direct connection with your collectors. There's no middleman anywhere. They just buy directly from you. And so that's, that's probably the most important thing. Mm. Super good. Yeah. So, so generally you recommend, you know, starting with something that you're not super attached to that you're not going to feel comfortable selling for less than hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, because if you're just starting out from scratch and you don't have a relationship with these collectors, if you don't have an audience, then it's unlikely that you're just going to come out of the gate and, you know, sell millions of dollars. So that, that leads kind of nicely into a, a second question, which is, you know, it sounds like a big part of the, the landscape, if you want to be successful, you know, selling music NFTs is to build a relationship with the collectors and the people that are actually yeah. going to own it, especially because they're not even necessarily just purchasing the art alone, but it's also it's like they're investing in you. It's like they've, you know, they, and in order to invest in you, they need to know who you are. They need to have yeah. connected with you. So how do you recommend that someone who's maybe starting from scratch, let's assume that they, they did the initial work where they created some some really cool pieces of art and they're doing something kind of unique. They have a unique collection and they don't have an established audience or an established relationship with collectors yet, but they do have some really cool collectibles and they have a cool collection. How do you recommend that they start building these relationships with the collectors and kind of get their foot in the door? Yeah, th this is where it gets hard. <laughs> so right now it's so early, it's really the wild west. So I don't have the perfect solution. I would say the best thing is to like rack your brain and just come up with a new solution because there is so much space, there's so much land to, to explore. So just go out and, and, and think of something because right now, the best thing I can, I can tell you is just go on Twitter, talk with a bunch of people, make friends, make friends with other artists and, and just be present. So that is also, it's kind of a job, like you need to have time because it takes you at least like probably 20 hours a week just to connect with people. Like otherwise you're not gonna make deep enough connections for people to actually trust you and invest in you because that's how it is. It is an investment for most people because these things, these NFTs, they maintain their value or they even increase in value. Many of my collectors made a lot of money with my pieces because I kept growing as an artist and they, they, they had many pieces. So they let go of some of them. They sold at a way higher prices than what they bought for. So this is something important for the collectors and they're not going to buy from some random stranger if they don't believe that you are here to stay. Because what if you, what if you're not really a musician? You're just a, a scammer. Like you, you just pulled some music and out from who knows where and just put it out on the blockchain. Like they need to trust you as a person. So that's why it's so important to have a direct connection. And it's not easy. It just takes time. So it is not, it's not something that happens in a week or in a month. It takes probably a couple of months, two or three months of really connecting with people. And so you need to invest the time. Like this is what I tell 
anybody that, that comes to me for advice, also what I tell my artists before I take them on, like, do you have at least 20 hours a week? Because if you have another job and you're not going to invest this time, it's just not going to make it. It's just going to be very, very frustrating because you're going to see all these other people making sales like, oh, I'm not selling anything. How come? What's mm. happening? And you're going mm. to start to think that it's your music, which is definitely not the case. It's just mm. about the, the amount of time that you put in and the amount of value that you provide. Because another important thing is to think like how how can you help i know it sounds very hippie but but that's how it is really like how can you provide value like you're not you're not mm -hmm. trying to take money from people you're trying to give them something and then in exchange they will give you some money so you mm -hmm. really need to think like how can i provide value for my collectors otherwise they could just listen to your music on spotify if they just if they just like the music but how can you give them extra value that's the the, the big thing 100 mm. percent yeah, that's, that's super good. And you know, one analogy that popped up as, as you're talking about the idea of, I actually just recorded a, a video about this idea of kind of like dipping your toes in the pool of your music career and kind of, because there's so many musicians who have a day job and they want to do music full time, but they feel like, you know, I don't have enough time or energy. And so they want to try to do music on the side or at night in between their day job. And the analogy that, that I think of is that it's kind of like if you want to learn how to swim, and you're kind of standing next to the pool and dipping your toes in the in the pool you're never going to learn how to swim if you're just kind of dipping your toes in the pool yeah. like you gotta you gotta jump in right and it helps if if you don't know how to swim it helps to have an instructor or a mentor who can kind of like help you not drown but the bottom line is your best odds of success are like jumping into the deep end of the pool where it's like you got to learn how to swim and you got to give it your all and like you're describing, like seeing everyone else being successful, it's like you're dipping your toes in the pool. You're like, man, look at all these other people that are swimming in the pool and they're having so much fun. Like, why am I not it's like swimming in the pool? It's like, well, you gotta, yeah. you gotta go all in. Yeah, I have a similar analogy that I always say to, to, to the people that I advise. There's something like, like somebody comes to me and they say, oh, I want to have perfect abs, but I want to work out only once a month or, or <laughs> once a week. That's just not gonna work. Like, yeah, mm. it, you can dream, but it's just not, not ever gonna happen. Even if you do it for 10 years, just once a week, you're just not going to do it. So you just have to really invest the time. That's the only way to do it. If you really want that, just just do that. You have to invest the time. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, and for anyone who, like if there's anyone listening to this that's in one of our programs or has you know taken any of our, our challenges, all the stuff that you're learning when it comes to building your audience and building a community, 100% applies to what Milo is talking about right now too, with like building a relationship and and specifically in Web three and with this community, I think the hyper networking approach, which is really about doing what Milo just said about like you know reaching out and building relationships and figuring out how can you provide value to those people, seems like a great initial initial point of contact is just you know making a big list of all of the artists that are successfully doing the thing that you wanna be doing. So in this case, you make a list of all of the musicians who are somewhat related to your genre or in a different genre who are doing music NFTs are selling a lot of them and look at you know their, their best fans or the best collectors and then have a targeted approach to not just show up and be like me, 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 me and just thinking about yourself, yeah. but just to show up and start connecting with them and building a relationship and thinking, you know, how can I actually provide value for, for them? And 100. percent That's that's a great way to you know, kind of build your initial your initial relationships. How about for, I mean for you, you know, you're you're someone who sold you know close to a hundred thousand dollars, depending on like the day, right? Of of your your NFTs. How did you build some of the? Because I'm sure that 
you know who those people are that are purchasing those. You know your top collectors. And so, like, do you remember, how did you build the relationships with some of your favorite fans or your favorite collectors for, for your music? Yeah, uh, well, I at some point, I started to do a daily Twitter space where I would just talk to people and just be myself. So that was where I made most of my connections. Just it, Twitter spaces are just like calls, like there's no, it's just audio, social audio. There's no video. You just talk to people. And so I had this daily space called Space for Introverts, which was mm. quite successful because a lot of people, it turns out, are introverts <laughs> that are artists. <laughs> so mm. it was a great place to meet both fellow artists and fellow collectors. And we were just talking about what we were doing, introducing ourselves, practicing, mm. talking in spaces. And that's, that's where I made most of my connections. I didn't, I, I didn't really do what I now advise people to do, like, which is to seek out collectors and, and be more proactive. I, I was just kind of just experimenting, just being myself. And a lot of people connected with that. They just liked the vibe. And so then when I had something that, that, that was coming out with, with, with my collection, then they were just happy to help because all, of all the time that we spent together just talking. Mm -hmm. And so I, I received a lot of support when on the day of the drop, there were like the, the retweets and the love was like overwhelming. So that was really good. And so maybe that's, that's even better, but it definitely takes time, like to just be yourself and wait. It, it takes more time. If you want to be a little bit faster, you definitely can be more proactive and connect with people. But if you have patience, you can also just be yourself and wait mm -hmm. for the people to just connect with you because you will find these people if you just, but you need to be out there a lot. Like if you are out there many hours a week and you're just being yourself, at some point you will find your own tribe and mm -hmm. then the tribe will, will help you when, when you need it, especially if you are also a helpful person. Otherwise, if you mm -hmm. always take, the, the, nobody's gonna help you. So <laughs> this is the mm -hmm. game, the same thing, you just have to give. A lot of time, yeah. give, give your time to other people. Right, 100%. Yeah, and everything you're saying, it's, it's probably a matter of what, like, and rather than like this one or that, right? Like if yeah. you're doing like a daily live stream or a daily Twitter space or daily Twitch performance or whatever it is, and you're also taking the time to connect with people and build those relationships and invite them, you know, and invite yeah. them to your, to your next daily space, super smart. And yeah, to, to speak again to, to your point, like I, I drilled this home a, a lot because a lot, everyone I bring onto this podcast is, is like you, like they're all, they're all givers and that's why they're successful is because they show up and they mm -hmm. think, how do I provide value? How do I serve more people? And that, you know, is like the, the hidden secret of, you know, of success is like, you know, having that mindset of how can I provide more value? Because the more value you provide, the more that, that comes back. And yeah. Yeah, I know that that there's psychology to this. You know, there's there's a, a really awesome book. It came out a while ago called Influence, and it talks through our human psychology. And basically, he studied. It's really pretty fascinating. If, if you guys haven't read this book yet, Influence by, gosh, I, I should remember this guy's name. I think it's Robert something. But Influence basically walks through these different what he calls mental triggers, and these are just psychological ways that our brain works that that drive our behavior. And so some of these are, are a little bit actually disturbing. Like some of them, you know, he talks about authority and talks about, you know, Nazism and like, why did people do that even though they're good people and they shouldn't, you know, be following along. And there's one study where they, one, one example of one of the studies, this was about authority, was they did this test where they had, they had a, a subject who was with a doctor leading the, 
leading the study. And there's another person in a different room that was answering questions. And so the doctor was giving this, this other person questions that they would have to answer as like a, a trivia. And the doctor and the person answering the trivia questions were both sub, were, they both were aware of what was going on. They weren't, they weren't really a part of the study. The main study person was the person who was standing next to the doctor and was asking the questions. And what happened was the doctor, whenever the person answering the questions got it wrong, would press a button to shock the person and put them in, you know, quote unquote, put them in pain. And the person would, you know, be like, oh, like that, that really hurt. And then they would bump up the pain each time they got the question wrong. And the main crux of the study was how long would the person let the study go on until they decided, hey, like, let's stop doing this. Like, this isn't, this is like, you're putting this person like this much pain, this is wrong. And what they found was that one of the key distinguishers was, because like by the end of it, like at question eight or question nine, the person would literally be unresponsive and they would keep zapping them with more pain because they were, they were, you know, because they had been knocked unconscious from the pain. And what they found is that if the doctor was wearing a lab coat, then they were like more likely to go like four or five questions deeper on average than if they weren't wearing a lab coat. And so that was a, an example of this like trigger, mental trigger of authority where we tend to, it also depends on demographics too, or like where you, your culture or where you're from, but we tend to, if someone has you know, a police uniform on, or someone has like a, a badge, a badge of authority, even things like social status, like, you know, owning an NFT is sort of like a social status badge or an icon, but we tend to, that's one of those things that can kind of trigger psychological authority or status or influence. Yeah, I definitely see that happening also like with the verified Twitter profiles. And so, the thing mm. is that back in the day, it was very easy to get verified. Like you didn't like right now you like you need like articles about yourself like in really big magazines but before i think you just had to apply and i don't know send your id or whatever so there are actually a few scammers that use this because they have an old profile with a lot of followers and they they try to scam people and, and they seem more trustworthy god they're verified mm -hmm. they must i must follow them so yeah I, I i don't know why we started talking about that <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll uh, come back back on top of it we were talking about these mental triggers about the because i think there's a different one that that i wanted to that i wanted to dig into yeah, uh, yeah we can we can maybe book, come back to it from the book influence and uh and you said yeah. that uh, there was a mention of this study about the the mental pictures uh Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe we can come back to it if I if I remember. But it was something something related to one of these specific types of mental triggers that was, that was really interesting. Well, anyways, we can we can kind of come back to this. Maybe we were talking about no, oh, I wouldn't meant that. I mean, social status is one of those triggers where if you have let's say there's like a hundred thousand people who are following you know a, a page and they're legitimate like people then we'll tend to, you know, to lend more credence to mm. that versus someone who has like two followers, for example. Yeah. So social status is an interesting one. But uh, anyways, maybe we'll come back to it. But another good question to kind of dig into. So you're talking about the one of the biggest challenges was that when someone's starting out, they they shouldn't get too attached to their first entities that they're creating and overvalue them for you know, ten or $20,000, but instead start with, maybe creating something new. Yeah. And what do you say, 
Oh, and we were talking about, oh, here we go. Found it. <laughs> I found the missing link. Yes. <laughs> so, so we were talking about this idea of providing value and how important it is and, and how if you focus on that, you're much more likely to be successful long-term with your NFTs. Mm. And the reason I thought about that book was because one of the mental triggers is reciprocity. And what they found is that one of the, you know, quote unquote, mental triggers or influence, you know, behaviors is that as humans, if someone gives you a gift or someone gives you something valuable, we literally feel compelled to reciprocate. Like we want to, you know, repay the favor. We want, like, it, there's something that's actually psychological, like it's a drive to reciprocate. And apparently it was based on when we were in tribes and it was just, this is how we survived is by, you know, trading and by reciprocating favors for each other. And it's just good nature. But you know, for, if if you buy into the into the idea of like the selfish gene that that really we all you know we have drives towards whatever we identify with as ourselves, and that's kind of what ultimately drives our behavior is whatever we identify with. Then it it helps to know that by actually focusing on other people and providing value, you are doing something for yourself too. It's actually what's best for you, and it's what's best for other people too. Isn't that awesome? That it can be a win win. It's like when you yeah. focus on providing value, it's actually good for you too. It's much better for you than you know vice versa. So that that was the end of my my ramble. So I'm glad, no, glad I, we, yeah. we did, reconnected I really there. Believe, I really believe in that too, and I I also think that it has to really be true for you. Like you you can't mm. just put that on like you can't just pretend mm -hmm. to help people and, and expect it's going to work i think mm -hmm. you just have to really do some 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 soul searching and, and see okay can can i do this like do i have it in me because i'm pretty sure you do but you do you have to really do it honestly that that is mm -hmm. so important especially in web3 people are so aware of dishonesty because there are so many scams so they, they can smell it a mile away and mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, I think that's really important to be completely honest, like try to help people for real, mm -hmm. not just the saying that you do or just whatever. hundred <laughs> percent. Mm, awesome. So what are some other pieces of advice that you might have for anyone? Let's say that someone after listening to this, they're like, okay, this is really cool. I want to dig a little bit deeper into NFTs. I think that there's, there's an opportunity there. Where'd they even get started? Like what's the first thing that you'd recommend that they go if they wanted to take that first step towards actually creating music NFTs? Yeah, the first thing is probably if you don't use Twitter so much, start using it more, follow some people that actually are very active in, in music NFTs. Of course, follow me if you want. And any like, if you follow, like if you follow me, for example, you will see that I interact with certain people, then follow them too. And then when, when they interact with other people, follow them too. Because initially, maybe now you're following just, I don't know, your mom and your cat. But if you, <laughs> when you start to follow like 100 or 500 people, you're going to start to see a lot. Like you, if you actually pay attention and if you start to interact with them, like you, you generally interact with, with people's posts, like, oh, I like this or this, I don't know, makes me feel this or whatever. Like be honest, be genuine. And that's, that's probably the first step. Then if you want to, if you want to be faster, of course, I can also encourage you to, to join us at Nifty Music. And uh, like we, we have a program to, to, to take you through the, the first steps, but it, you can totally do it yourself. How can you provide value? Like you're not, you're not trying to take money from people. You're trying to give them something and then in exchange, they will give you some money. So you mm -hmm. really need to think like, how can I provide value for my collectors? Otherwise they could just listen to your music on Spotify if they just, if they just like the music, but how can you give them extra value? That's the, the, the big thing. Pretty magical that can, that happens when, cause I mean, it's, 
it can be scary. Like when, at first, when you first start showing up and you first start going live and start connecting with people because there's you know a piece of you that's, I think it's in something in our brains to just tell us, you know, if you get rejected, you will die. Like that's what our brains say. Like if you get rejected, you will die. <laughs> and so it's, it brings up all this fear. And the truth is that, you know, that's not what happens. Like you don't die if you get rejected. I think that what I heard was, or what I, I what I read was that in evolutionary psychology, the reason that we have that that drive is because we used to live in tribes where if you got rejected by the wrong person, you might get ostracized, you might literally die. And nowadays, like our brains, like our, our communities don't work in that way. So it's an outdated thing that we haven't evolved out of is this fear of rejection. Yeah. So to your, to your point, yeah, just showing up and and the more that you do that, it's, you know, the, the armor starts to crack and you start having to, you know, sort of reveal, you know, parts of yourself and yeah. you'll tend to attract the right people who actually resonate with that. Yeah, super good stuff. Well, hey, Milo, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on here and, and talk about this stuff. This is super fascinating. We went, we went down a few different rabbit holes. We're talking about, you know, decentralization. And we talked about the user data and being able to grant like access to it. And you're dropping value bombs for like, how do you actually build a relationship with your collectors in a way that's organic and authentic and how to go about, you know, getting started with music NFTs. And so thank you for, for being here and for doing what you do. And for anyone who's listening or watching this right now who would love to learn more or connect with you when it comes to either like your social media and also the program that, that you offer, could you talk a little bit about what would the next step be for someone who wants to connect more? Yeah, I mean, if you want to find me, you find me everywhere, Nifty Sachs, N-I-F-T-Y-S-A-X, just at Nifty Sachs everywhere. So the best place to connect with me is probably Twitter. So follow me there and my DMs are open. So just send me a message and I'm happy to help if I can. And if you want to join our program, just go to, you can either just Google Nifty Music or just go to niftymusic.app and then you can just apply for, for our program and uh, we'll, we'll reach out as soon as possible. That, that's it. Uh, you, can, you can just Google my name, Milo Lombardi. You're going to find some stuff. I'm, I'm very easy to find. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> just find me on Twitter and, and send me a DM and we will start the conversation. Awesome. Cool. Well, like always, we'll put all the links in the show notes so everyone has easy access to it. And yeah, appreciate you coming on here. And until next time. Yeah! yeah! Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take the music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.